From 1986 to 1990, Frank Reed was held hostage in a Lebanon cell. For months at a time, Reed was blindfolded, living in complete darkness, or chained to a wall, and kept in absolute silence. On one occasion, he was moved to another room, and although blindfolded, he could sense others in the room. Yet it was three weeks before he dared peek out to discover he was chained next to Terry Anderson and Tom Sutherland. Although he was beaten, made ill, and tormented, Reed felt most the lack of anyone caring. He said later in an interview with Time magazine, Nothing I did mattered to anyone. I began to realize how withering it is to exist without a single expression of caring around me. I learned one overriding fact. Caring is a powerful force. If no one cares, you are truly alone. Unquote. And what a sad thing to go through that experience to realize how much caring really matters. And it's not something that's just practiced for the outside world. More importantly, it is to be practiced within the body of Christ, isn't it? We've seen that the past couple of Sundays. That caring for one another is a job of ours. Christianity is not privatized. It's not personal. It's a corporate event. And so my challenge to you this morning from this passage of Scripture is that you and I are to be concerned for one another's faith. You and I are to be concerned for one another's faith. And I want to give you two reasons why that is to be so in our lives, that we are to be concerned for one another's faith. The first reason from verses 1 through 8 is that disobedience to God is an abiding danger. Disobedience to God is an abiding danger. Notice what the author says. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Notice with me that the, the author notes that God's promise is still available. That word therefore links back to what we just discussed last week and actually goes all the way back to chapter 3, verse 7, talking about being faithful and over, over uh, watching out for each other lest there be any evil heart of unbelief. That promise of rest still stands. That word promise here means a declaration to do something with an obligation to carry out what is stated. And still stands there means to, to remain in existence or to be, to be left over. So God's promise of rest is still available today. He's obligated to carry it out because he stated it. And the word rest here means to cause persons to be at rest, to cease activity. Now there are several issues that I need to take a moment to explain regarding this word. Because you, oftentimes in Scripture you have words that pop out that are centered around different passages of Scripture. And, and it's up to us as we dive into the context and dive into the meaning to figure out what the author is talking about. And we have one of those words here, the word rest. What, what, is, what, is, what does he mean when he says the word rest? Again, we've seen it before, but what does it mean here? Is it a physical or is it a spiritual rest is a question we need to ask. So in other words, is he referring to the physical rest that was promised via the land that Israel was given, or is it a spiritual rest a rest that's looking forward to the eternal state. Not a physical 
uh, land of promise, if you will, but a, a, a spiritual rest that deals with the heavenly places. Is that what he's referring to? It's a question we have to ask. Another question, is it rest for now or in the future? Hashtag eternal rest. Is it eternal rest or is it temporary rest is what he's talking about. What does that rest look like? Is it a ceasing from work or is it, or is it just resting? Is it stopping work and just resting or is it, is it resting in the idea of doing work for God, which is different than doing work here on this earth? I think what would help us is a definition that I found uh, in, another com- in the commentary that I've been reading among others in regards to the book of Hebrews by uh, D.L. Allen. He says this, Spiritual rest is ongoing maturity and perseverance, a community ethic made possible by faith and obedience. The failure to reach the rest in Hebrews 4.1 is the consequence of the warning given in, in chapter 3, verse 12. So what is it? The rest is, as defined here in this verse, and, and looking at the context and everything to, to take into account, is faithful obedience of the believer to the commands and call of God. That's what the rest is referring to. It's not, not, not referring to the eternal rest, which is, is still a reality, but it's talking about the rest of faithfully obeying the commands and call of God on our lives. And so to sum it up, the rest that God has promised to those who obey him is still present. It is available for all believers to partake of. So that, that, that promise that God has and, and commands that God has for us to obey are still out there. There's still what we're supposed to partake of. So we cannot ignore this, this warning here. Notice also, secondly, that the fear of the consequences of disobedience causes fellow believers to watch out for each other. It's what the, the author will refer to in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. He'll, we'll look at this in, in a few months down the road where he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We're we're supposed to look out for each other. We're supposed to to actively be involved in each other's lives so that when trouble comes, when we see a problem with a fellow believer, brother or sister in Christ's life, we're there to help them solve it. The phrase, let us fear here, means to fear or be afraid of. And here the context shows that this is not fear of God, of God or of man, but this is a fear of a possibility, a possible situation, and therefore there's a sense of urgency behind this word. You know, watch out for this thing or that thing. And they're to be watching out for, again, going back to verse 12 of chapter 3, an unbelieving heart. And that whoever, is a, whoever their fellow believer is, that they would come fall short of the promise and the, of rest that God has. The word seem here. So lest, let us fear lest any of you seem. The word seem here to, refers to one's understanding. So it's looking at a situation and thinking about it, lest one should seem to fall short. What does that mean? To come short means to fail to attain or miss out on something thought be one's fault. So to summarize here, the author is urging his readers 
to ensure the obedience of their fellow believers to the commands of God. This is an urgent matter that cannot be ignored. Why? Because the consequences are serious. We looked at some of those consequences back in, uh, last week in, in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you in an in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. As a consequence of, not, of disobedience, it's falling away from God, being away from His presence, and therefore not under His blessing. An illustration that I might use is, is parenting. My, my wife and I are, are in that uh, now, and you know, we're always watching out for our kids, Josiah and Noah, to make sure they don't get into things they shouldn't, right? We're always warning them. And sometimes, if you're a little two-year-old, you look at mom and dad and you still do it, right? Uh, and, and why do we warn our kids? Why do we tell them to watch out or pay attention? Because there's danger. And we don't want them to suffer the consequences of that danger. So we tell them to watch out, pay attention. And we're always looking to make sure that Josiah and Noah are are doing things that will keep them safe and not cause any harm on them. Well, think of yourself, not so much a parent of other believers per se, but just as a guardian, as a watcher. A brother or sister who urges other brothers and sisters in Christ to be faithful to obey God and not let disobedience come about in their lives because the consequences are dangerous. And how many times have you and I known a fellow brother or sister in Christ who have gone down a sinful path and have ignored the warnings? That's up to them, right? But you, you've, 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 you've warned them about disobeying. You've, you've pointed it out. And the end result has been some serious consequences for that disobedience. So the author and God himself is urging us this morning to, to fear, to watch out, to pay attention. Notice also with me that the promise of rest is to all those who believe. Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So that phrase, the gospel was preached to us, emphasizes the, the good news, the proclamation of the good news. And the recipients of the good news were those who received it and those who did not. What happened to those who received it? It was preached to them. They accepted it. They believed they had faith. But what happened to those who did not? Notice with me. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They didn't believe, is what the author is saying. Others chose to believe, they did not. So, we, so he's delineating the different groups here. He's trying to get his readers and us to see that he's talking to believers, not unbelievers. Because if unbelievers have rejected the gospel, they don't have the promise of rest, right? It's not for them. Because they're not part of the family of God, right? So he's talking to believers. He's talking here about saving faith. And he's showing that the promise of rest is to those who trust in Christ for eternal salvation. So therefore, since the promise still remains for us who believe, there is a danger for us to disobey and fall away from that promise. 
Again, I will say this, and I mentioned this last week, just because you're a Christian does not immune you from failure. Right? You're still sinners. (laughs) You and I still need to repent because of our sin. But the promise of rest is still for us. And so let us fear, let us be careful, let us urge those fellow believers to remember that rest and remember not to disobey God's commands. Those who believe enter into his rest based on their faith. So he, he, he kind of reinforces this idea of the rest being for believers by again quoting from Psalm 95. So I swore in my wrath I shall not enter the, my rest, for we who have believed do enter into that rest. So we've entered into that rest. We, we've entered into that relationship with God by obedience whereby he gives us rest and as we obey his commands. But he also, also notes that rest is part of God's program. So again, he's used Psalm 95 to point out that obedience to God results in entering into his rest, while disobedience brings God's wrath. But rest is part of God's program. He quotes Genesis 2.2. Although the works were, were finished from the foundation of the world, so this, this kind of goes along with verse 4. So the end of verse 3, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, goes with verse 4. It may seem the way it's written uh, in your Bibles that it goes with verse 3. It really doesn't. It goes with verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. You know, God rested even though he didn't need to, right, in his creation, and showed by him resting that it was a priority for him, and so should it be for us. So rest is part of God's program. There's this idea that in our circles especially, that God's always about working, working for him, ministering, doing things, blah, 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 and just keeping going. And that's true to a point. But God's also about rest. (laughs) That's why he rested in his creation work. So the author uses Psalm 95 and Genesis 2-2, using Psalm 95 again, verse 5, to show that rest is what we're granted by faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, notice lastly with me, disobedience to God is still a real possibility. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, so, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. And again, he does think it's a certain day, saying in David today, after such a long time it has been said today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. So he's going back to the premise that Rest is for those who believe, and it's still out there. Those who do not believe is not for them, and they are underneath God's wrath. But yet, verse 7, there's still a warning that you and I can disobey. So here we see in verses 6 and 7 the distinction between saving faith and believing faith. Saving faith is that when you and I first placed our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we would call it saving faith. You know, placing our faith in Him for eternal salvation. Verse 7 is talking about believing faith. Active faith, if you will. Those who heard the good news disobeyed and therefore did not enter the rest of God eternally. Why? Because they didn't have saving faith. But those of us who, did believe, who do believe and have entered into that rest, 
still need to heed the warning of not hardening, hardening our hearts, much like that warning was given to the nation of Israel. And so if we do harden our hearts, we do disobey, we will not enter into his rest temporarily. It's still out there. The rest is still out there. That's why he brings, in verse 8, Joshua into the conversation. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So he's going back to the children of Israel and kind of moving past Moses and getting into when the children of Israel entered into the land. They still didn't have rest. They still looked for it. And because they still looked for it, and the author in Psalm 95 still mentions it, it's still out there. It's still available. God's rest is still eternally available for those who believe. This isn't like we missed it or we had, you know, we had an opportunity and then we just kind of fell by the wayside. No, it's still out there, which means also that once you disobey, it doesn't mean you're done, right? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't look at our disobedience and say, that's it, you're done? Right? That God is gracious and merciful again, time and time, to bring us to repentance and back into that rest. That's why I think when we look at these few verses, he's talking to believers and talking about obedience. And so that asks, leads me to ask this question this morning Are you ignoring the danger of disobeying God? Are you ignoring the warning signs, the danger, the big flashing light? It's telling you to stop. Put the brakes on. Don't go any further. This is disobedience to God. If you, you go further, you will suffer consequences. If we're not careful, we can harden our hearts. I can harden my heart to that warning. And so you this morning, in, in your job, in your, your lives at home, in your relationship with your, your spouse, when it comes to obeying God's commands in those areas, are you ignoring his warning sign of not hardening your hearts? Because there is danger. There are consequences. Again, it bears repeating. Believers in Jesus Christ, we still suffer the consequences for our sin. When you and I got saved as believers in Jesus Christ, we didn't get a free pass to do whatever we wanted. That's Romans chapter 6. Paul writes and he says, should we who are saved, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, continue to sin that grace may abound? Remember what he says? God forbid. That's not the point. You and I did not get saved so we get a free pass. I get a hell free card. You and I got saved so we can enter into the rest and that rest comes by obeying God's commands. It's a temporary rest that looks forward to the eternal rest. So are you disobeying God this morning and ignoring the warning signs of that disobedience? Second reason I would give to you this morning of, of why you and I need to be concerned for one another's face, faith excuse me, is verses 9 through 10. God's rest is promised to those who obey. There, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. So he's coming back to this idea of rest, and he's showing that God's rest is for all his people. 
Again, that, that, that word remain means to be reserved for future appearance or enactment. And the grammar here points to a current reality. So, so that rest of God remains for today. Because it was not fulfilled in the Old Testament, and it comes up again here in the New Testament, it's an eternal principle and fundamental to the person and plan of God. Yes, God has work and ministry for us to do, but God also has rest for us. And the rest here is exclusively for God's people, which reinforces the idea that those who are saved by God have access to his rest regardless of spiritual maturity. Rest that God has is not just for the elite, not just for the older Christians. It's for the new Christian in Christ. It's for the one who's struggling in his or her faith. God still has rest for you. And you say, Pastor, what does that mean? What, well, why mention that God's rest is for all his people? The, I mention it because there's still danger. Right? Going back to verse 1. It's for all his people, but yet his people still disobey, so we better watch out for each other. It's still out there. It's still available. Notice also that God's rest signifies that the believer's work is complete. For he who has entered his rest has he as himself also ceased from his works as God's did from his. Kind of the, the illustration I would use is when you, when you finish a job, let's say you've been given the task of mowing the lawn, you get to truly rest, don't you? When, when you've completed the job, you've, you've uh, weed whacked all the weeds down, you've, you've cut the edges and corners, you've mowed up and down and done all the fancy designs in your lawn just to make it stand out and everything like that. You can truly rest when the job's done, can't you? But if you take a break in the middle of the job, guess what? You still got to go back and do it, right? You don't get to truly rest until the job is completed. And the commands of God that are to be obeyed, that are to be experienced, when we complete those, we will be at rest. The word rest here, the idea of to, to cease from labor, so when a believer gets to God's rest, his labor is over. So the author here uses again the creation account to show what God resting looks like. When God rested from his creation, he stopped working. He did not continue, but was finished and completely stopped. So what is, what, what, what is he saying here? Because some of you are saying, well, Pastor, it seems to me that you mean like there's still, you know, I still need to work until you know, eternity and still for that eternal. So it seems what the eternal rest is emphasized here. I would say yes and no. It's both. The reality of the eternal rest that still awaits us is experienced by all believers today as a result of saving faith, but it can be experienced now. So yes, there is eternal rest that is awaiting us where we will cease from our labors here on earth and we will be at rest but that rest can be experienced now. How can it be experienced now? By actively obeying God. Because if you do not actively obey God, you experience his anger. And isn't that true for us as believers? When we're doing what God wants, we're obeying him, or walking by faith, aren't we at rest a little bit? Aren't we at peace a little bit? 
We're not restless and, and uncertain because when we're disobedient, and I know I've been there as well as I'm sure you have, we're not at rest. Right? When you and I are, have done something to violate God's word, whether we've, we've, we've lied or we've stolen or we've looked at something we shouldn't have or we have been deceitful in any way, are you really at rest? I think the answer is no. Because God's convicting you and saying, uh, that's sin. That's wrong. That's disobedient to me. And we suffer the consequences for it. But to be at rest now means that when we obey God, we are doing what he wants and we are at peace, at rest. And that is a simple looking forward to, a simple experience of what will be for us forever in eternity. So we can say it this way. Obey God now. Experience the rest that he has for you now because it will be so much better in eternity. It's just a mere glimpse of the eternal rest he has for us. And it leads me to say by point of application, are you thankful that God has promised you rest? That there is coming a day that, that, that you can experience it now? When you obey God, you are faithful to obey, you're walking through hard times and you still obey, God rests you, if you will. But there's also a promise of one day eternal rest, right? Where you forever will be at rest, you will cease your labors here on earth and you will do the work of God in a way that is enjoyable, in a way that is under his direct watch care. We, we always thank God for another day and a, a, a life that we have, and, and, and that's good. But I wonder how many times do we thank God for the rest that he's promised us that one day is still coming. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think this morning we've seen that God has challenged us to be concerned for each other's faith. To watch out for each other, to care for each other. We need each other to do this thing called faith. Do you realize that? You and I need each other to do this faith thing. We can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Some of you may think, well, pastor, you're the pastor, you should... You've got this faith thing down. No, I haven't. I haven't got it down. And neither have you. We need to work on faith together. And how can we be concerned for each other's faith? Again, we've seen that disobedience to God is an abiding danger. We're still sinners. We can still disobey. We can still fall short of God's commands. So we need to watch out for each other. And God's rest is promised to those who obey. And because of that, we watch out. Because that, that, that we all want the rest of God. We want other believers to experience it. We, we, we are concerned for their faith. We take them out for coffee. We get down bare bones with them and say, hey, what's going on? Why, why, why are you doing this thing or that thing? And walk through faith with them. Why? Because the rest is promised to those who obey. And we want people to obey, to experience that rest. So we're concerned for their faith. 
So as we continue to grow as a body here at First Baptist, may we all be concerned for each other in our faith as it grows and grows until we see him face to face.